Alrighty, well, thank you again so much for coming on. Um, a lot going on in, uh, in pretty much every city <laughs> in the nation right now. Um, I just wanted to get your two cents mainly on where Cleburne is at regarding COVID. You know, we're, we're, there's a lot of unrest regarding the COVID vaccinations. Um, the pandemic has shifted everything. So kind of give me your thoughts on where we are today in Cleburne. Yeah, so, you know, it, it's become a deeply personal issue uh, when it comes to COVID and, and personal health. Um, there's a lot of rhetoric. It's, you know, unfortunately, it's been politicized. And to be blunt, to say that the government at all levels has botched it would be a, a huge understatement. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, we have to look at the context of, of what's really going on. Um, you know, this is the first time in the lives of anyone alive today, my generation, my parents' generation, your generation, my kids, that we've had uh, or encountered something that we weren't able to tackle in short order and, and get handled. And so uh, we're used to living in a society that's pretty instant gratification. And so I think this past year, you know, we all thought, OK, we shut down, we get it under control. We let the uh, medical uh, sciences catch up, come up with a vaccine. We get it done. We get on with life and move on to the next thing. Um, but the truth is that, that we're going to be dealing with COVID for a very, very long time. And uh, we're going to have to learn how to navigate that. You know, I've told folks from the very beginning that, you know, the issue is not really trying to keep people from getting COVID, but it's from, you know, trying to keep our healthcare system from completely cratering and to uh, navigate those things and to keep things going financially. Um, so, you know, the, you have that issue and then you've got what I, I refer to as kind of a post shutdown um, uh, anger or, or difficulty. And, and I think everybody has, been kind of put to the test mentally, emotionally, financially, uh, and physically as well. And so everybody's tired. Uh, you know, we, we see kind of an outrage in society. You know, Cleburne's no exception. You know, you, you drive down Henderson and people drive a little more aggressively. I've caught myself doing that. I mean, it, it's we're all on edge and, and uptight and we're ready to get back to you know, some form of normalcy. So you take that and then you put all of the political unrest. Um, politics in, in the United States has been polarized uh, with two extremes in the political realm uh, dominating and controlling and it becoming all about calling the other side the enemy. And so we've kind of lost touch with what we have in common versus what our differences are. Uh, you know, I, I, I've been thinking a lot this week about uh, 20 years ago uh, with the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And, you know, I, I tell folks all the time when I reflect on 9-11, it's, you know, it, it, it can be sad, it can be angry, but what I always choose to remember are the days and weeks and months that followed and how America united and how we rallied together. Uh, I didn't hear people talking about who's a Democrat, who's a Republican, who's conservative, who's liberal, who's black, who's white. 
we all were Americans and we all rallied to one, you know, help New York and, and Washington recover to support our first responders that went into, you know, flaming buildings when others were evacuating and to help one another kind of get a sense of recovery. And we united that uh, we weren't going to take this. You know, we took the fight to the terrace and our patriotism was first and foremost. And so when I see where we are today, you know, quite frankly, we need a little bit of that uh, back. We need to, you know, when it comes to COVID, you know, people have very definite opinions about whether or not to get the vaccine, whether or not to mask up, whether it's effective. And, and these are deeply personal decisions. But what I think we lose sight of is that, you know, somebody who has a difference of opinion is not the enemy. The enemy's COVID. And, you know, we, we've got to be patient with one another, kind with one another. Uh, and I think the problem is that we're just all tired and worn down uh, COVID fatigue. And so our coping mechanism has just kind of declined. Um, I say all that, but I, I also think there's hope because I believe that in our core, uh, Americans are special, we're unique, um, you know, and that's no different for Cleveland. Cleveland is a very special community, very generous, very giving, very loving, very neighborly. And uh, even though we have a differences of opinion on how to tackle COVID, um, I believe that we can set the tone in Cleburne for the rest of America to have civil discourse about the issues and, you know, get on with everyday life. I mean, for crying out loud, we're, we're all accustomed to multitasking. Yeah. This is just another layer of it. So um, very difficult situation we find ourselves in. And, uh, you know, for me personally, I've really struggled with um, what, what do I do? How do I lead our community? How do I move the needle forward? Um, you know, I've, I've wanted to communicate on social media, but quite frankly, um, the reason I've been somewhat silent is I don't really have anything new to add um, that really helps. I, you know, occasionally we'll, we'll remind folks, hey, let's be kind to one another. Uh, if somebody wants to wear a mask, you know, let's not look down on them. If somebody, you know, is comfortable not wearing a mask, let's not look down on them. Uh, you know, everybody knows the steps to take. They know the tools that we have. And so, um, you know, I've chosen to, to get back to the business at hand of growing the economy, you know, getting our infrastructure strengthened and finding ways to make Cleburne a, a leader in the state of Texas. Man, you said a lot there. So let's see if we can pick <laughs> it up. No, that's perfect. A lot, to, a lot to handle. Well, that's again, I really enjoy talking with local leaders like yourself, specifically you, because you've, you've set a precedent, I think, for a lot of uh, neighboring cities, because like I said, last time we spoke, you were driving a lot of cool things and you were, um, leading in a good way from my perspective, you know, as a fairly new Kleber Knight, I really saw what you're doing where you were communicating well early on in the pandemic. Um, you did some really good things by balancing both sides while trying to keep everybody healthy. And so, um, I ask you again, this, and one of the cab you on, because I, I've noticed that you've been a little silent. And so I've been kind of curious, you know, where you've been, not necessarily where you've been, but, um, again, just want to have another conversation 
for the people in Cleburne and surrounding cities because you did kind of set a, a leadership precedent early on. Um, you know, but, you know, Caleb, uh, you know, let's take, let's, let's break COVID down into its core parts. Okay. You know, the, the, the big debate that everybody's having is vaccination. You know, my family and myself have been fully vaccinated. Uh, they've got the, the booster shots coming out. Quite frankly, I'm not going to get a booster shot initially. I'm waiting for more science to come out. Um, but, you know, when you and I read a lot of articles and I listen to our, our health team about uh, the vaccine, you know, I want to encourage folks when you when you read something, if you see buzz phrases on either side, you know, the anti-vaxxers or the, you know, we've all got to do our part uh, and everybody needs to get vaccinated. When you read all that, you know, and it's coming from a purported doctor or medical source, um, take it with a grain of salt. You know, for me, what I do when I'm reading an article, if I see buzz phrases that have been politicized, I quit reading because- What is, it, what is a buzz phrase to you? Yeah, you know, like vax, V-A-X-X, um, you know, uh, um, you know, if they go into talking about an absolute that, you know, the boost, like I saw the CDC or somebody said something about, you know, if you get both booster shots, you have immunity for life. I mean, quite frankly, that's part of the problem is government needs to, and the politicians need to quit making guarantees and promises and simply say, this is the data we have. And the science community, it takes years uh, to get statistical data before they can really get predictive models. And so we're still very early on uh, with COVID. And so when I read these articles, if I see you know a slant towards getting the vaccine or a slant against, then I'm not educating myself with scientific data. Uh, I'm, I'm basically looking at somebody who's got a political agenda. Mm. And it's really hard to sift through that. Um, you know, if, if they use the word jab, you know, that's a non-scientific term, you know, that tells me that, that they've got a, a political agenda with what they're talking about. You know, when I read an article and it talks about statistical analysis, the data, what the next steps are, um, and predictive modeling and things like that, then I take that a little more seriously. And I look at that and, and for me and my family, I say, okay, uh, that's scientific data. This is where we are. This is our, our best analysis uh, of what's going forward. So, you know, I want to encourage people, be careful where you get your information. There's a ton out there. And, and so you want to get real scientific, non-politicized stuff. And it's difficult. It's really hard to get that information. Um, even at the CDC level, you know, I've been very disappointed with you know, some of what they're putting out and Dr. Fauci, uh, you know, it, it, it's, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we, we've all got the data. We're just going to have to wait for the data to, to catch up or the information we have and, and, and go forward. So, you know, when people speak in absolutes, um, yeah. you know, that, that, that's problematic. Well, we're finding also that you're either anti, you said this before, uh, kind of grouping people into either anti-vax or vax. And the anti-vax buzz phrase, like you're saying earlier, um, that kind of originated prior to this pandemic from whenever we're seeing pockets of people and differing strains of viruses pop up in communities that weren't necessarily vax. So 
the anti-vax, and from my opinion, is not necessarily the anti-vax that is synonymous with today's anti-vax group. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. There's two different. There's two different groups. You have a, a group prior to COVID that um, you know prefer to go a holistic, mm-hmm. uh, natural uh, level, and there was a big debate. You know, um, parents of young children and whether or not to to get the vaccine. And, and those debates and those discussions you know, or similar to what we're having with COVID, the only difference is they have years of data, you know, of looking at side effects, you know, pros and cons, and you can make a better educated decision what's best for your family, whether to get, you know, various vaccines when you've got a lot of, you know, 10, 20, 30, 50 years of data mm-hmm. and science of looking at side effects. And what makes the vaccine for COVID more difficult is, you know, looking at, you know, a very small amount of data and timeline, and we don't know the, the long-term effects as much. However, you know, I read a really good article that talked about, you know, when you get injection vaccinations, you know, there's a less likelihood of residual long-term effects if it's designed to build up your immunity system uh, because the, the actual vaccine gets your body to react in a particular way than vacates your system within 36 hours or so. And so when I was reading that science article, it it really helped me to get a better understanding of, you know, when you're getting a shot, you know, uh, understanding what that does. Is it putting stuff into your body or is it getting a vehicle to jumpstart your immunity system? So I I read that stuff a little differently now. So that's been a positive that's come out of this. Yeah. And there's something that a lot of people I haven't seen talk about. And the reason why I'm currently, to be honest with you, I'm currently not vaccinated for the COVID, um, for the COVID, (laughs) for COVID. Uh, but there's a reason because I had a really, really bad response to COVID initially. I had a, uh, 12 day, like can't walk hard, hard, the typical, like really bad response to COVID on the initial strain. Um, and that's really the only reason why I'm not getting the vaccine because of natural immunity. And so, like, we have this debate right now between natural immunity and COVID immunity, and we're still finding that natural immunity is more robust than the vaccine. The vaccine does prevent um, severe hospitalization and death. However, nobody is really talking about uh, those individuals like myself who have had uh, this type of natural response. And so we're still seeing these forced mandations in companies, in uh, a lot of parts of the government, in different countries, Australia, South Africa, uh, all these different just forced liberties being taken away. Where are you standing on this? I already know where you're, what you're going to say. But yeah. Yeah. So, so two, two things there, you know, you, you raised a good point, you know, there's not enough data and science to, to know the long-term efficacy of, of the vaccine versus natural immunity, because we just don't have enough data. That's going to come 10, 15, 20 years from now. Yeah, so when it comes down to the mandates, uh, I'm very much opposed to to the mandates. You know, when we went through the shutdown, you know, one of the things that I I did was always asked before, you know, issuing any any orders, um, because I I, I believe that, you know, it's it's better to ask folks to to do things than to demand that they do them. And, And quite frankly, you know, we're at a point now where, you know, government has botched it so bad Politicians have fought over the power of being able to, to do these things so much that I just don't think people are going to react to it. You know, so um, I'm very much opposed to these mandates, you know, on either side. You know, I mean, 
<laughs> we've got the governor issuing mandates that prohibits mandates. And yeah. isn't that a form of a mandate? I yeah. mean, you know, I think it's time to, to let, uh, you know, local governments do their thing, be responsible to citizens, let the business community make its own decisions, uh, you know, based on, um, you know, what they need to do. And, and let's get out of this mandating business and, and letting people, you know, navigate and work together on that. Um, you bring up that interesting point with the governor, though. I just wanted to highlight that, um, you know, the governor is very, I, I, I like Governor Greg Abbott he, uh, in, for, in a lot of different ways, but, you know, his, his intention to uh, keep freedoms open by restricting the choice to be free is kind of like an uh, oxymoron in his mandates to non to, to school districts and companies that you can't force them to to mask or vaccinate. Um, so that's kind of an interesting point. That you well, you know, out. you know, Caleb, you know, quite frankly, if you step back and you look at this, the, the problem Governor Abbott has is he was issuing the very mandates that he's now declaring these mandating can't be issued, yeah. you know, early on in COVID. So, you know, he, he, it begs the question is, is he making a political choice, you know, because the political winds had turned, you know, early on, everybody said, Hey, you know, let's shut down, let's get this under control, let's move on, you know? And so, you know, he, he liked that. And, and now, you know, it, he's up for reelection, he's drawing some opponents and, you know, he's making that decision, you know, quite frankly, um, one of the concerns that, that I've had in, in watching how the governor's handled this, and, you know, it's easy to be an armchair quarterback, but, yeah. <laughs> you know, he, he doesn't have any business background. And, you mm. know, when you take somebody who's been a career politician and, you know, elected official for your entire career and your entire adult life, um, you don't know how to run a business. You don't know how to navigate. And I think if you're going to be a mayor, a county judge, a, uh, a governor or a president of the United States, I think you need some business background because that's essentially what those executives do. They run business and you got to understand those cause and effect. Um, but, you know, I have some concerns with that. You know, a lot of people don't know this, but, you know, uh, early on, about a year ago, I gave my emergency powers back to council uh, early on in this uh, when we got out of really, a, you know, that emergency mode. And, and I, we're still under emergency management, but I've, I'm, I've asked council to not allow me to issue orders or mandates without posting it for public comment, having it on an agenda and having, you know, public discourse and debate on the issue, like any other policy matter that we have. Our government is not designed for one person to have that much power for that period of time, whether it's the governor, the president, we have checks and balances. I mean, our history is we don't like leaders to have too much power. It goes yeah. all the way back to 1776. Yeah. And so I think with these mandates, what we're seeing is a natural American response of saying, don't tread on me. Mm -hmm. Don't tell me what to do. I don't like government dictating my life. You know, it, and mm. it, you go to all That's the way awesome. recently to Reagan. You know, I'm from yeah. the government and I'm here to help. You know, <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, government is the problem. It always is. And I tell our city staff, remember, if we're acting in the role of government, we are probably the problem. So, uh, you know, you got to keep that in mind. That's 
I love that you just said that. So I guess that that's a good segue into the next section. Um, if things are continuing the way that they're continuing with the federal government and we're seeing mandates and we're seeing unrest increase and protests and it getting worse, so to speak, um, what is Cleburne going to do? Like, are you, are you going to force these same mandates? Are we going to do like, what, what's the process on that? Yeah, I, I can tell you this much. I, I am not going to ask my community to be mandated, whether it's masks, shutdowns, or anything based on COVID. You know, what, I don't care if the federal government or the state comes in and tells us, you know, you're going to shut down, you're going to do this. You know, um, one, I don't think anybody in America is going to, to buy that or, or do that again. Two, you know, we cannot... Uh, and it's not a matter of, you know, one side or the other side of the issue. The world, the state, the, the country in Cleburne can't handle another shutdown. We just simply can't economically, mentally, emotionally. We, we can't and we're not going to do it. You know, we're going to ask what I will do is ask our community to use common sense. I will make certain they are armed with accurate uh, best information available. And I believe in our people. I believe our people are going to make the best calls they can. Yeah, is it going to, is everybody gonna make the same call and go get vaccinated or don a mask? No, they're not. But I believe that people are going to make good calls at the end of the day. And so I'm not gonna get into this mandate business. And you know, quite frankly, it doesn't really matter. I've been told from the governor and everybody else that you know uh, we're not gonna have local control on that. So. You so know, what happens? I, I'm staying is, focused. I'm staying focused on the day to day stuff that I've worked on for ten years. And, so what happens if they do? Yeah. What happens if they do come in like Occupy? And that, that's actually it's a funny question, <laughs> but I, I don't know. We're seeing a lot of this stuff that has never happened before in the world, like Australia. Australia is one of those crazy things that are happening where it's it's literally full totalitarianism. Yeah, I don't think we we get there. You know, all okay. you have to do is look back uh, when there was threats of BLM coming to Cleburne and. And, uh, and, you know, we had a lot of, uh, lot of citizens and a lot of folks that said not going to happen on our watch. Hmm. Um, you know, the, the big issue that I have is making certain that we do it in an orderly fashion, that people are safe. You know, we don't want lawlessness to take the law into our own hands. We have a system of a form of government that has been tried and true for many, many years. And we'll get that done. I think, you know, the real issue that I see in Washington, D.C. is we've got a federal government that is inept. It is in gridlock, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but they're missing the real point of what they're doing. You know, you've got the federal government is throwing trillions of dollars and it's unsustainable. Nobody hardly is talking about you know, the deficit spending, you know, the federal government not having a budget for I don't know how many years. Yeah. Um, and, and it's not sustainable. I'm more concerned about what is going on with D.C. economically and with inflation and, and those kind of things. I lived through a couple of inflationary periods, the early 80s in particular, with interest rates, you know, at 12, 13, 14 percent. And uh, I'm very worried about you know, how we keep the economy strong. And, and you know, all you got to do, if you just if you just study history and, and look at the past, you'll have a good predictor of the future. 
if government will stay out of the way and let business owners and entrepreneurs do their thing, the economy will adjust and, and take care of itself. You know, um, but this this role of big government, you know, we've seen what happened, you know, with uh, uh, unemployment benefits. You know, we can't get a workforce right here in Cleveland, Texas. You know, uh, people ask what's going on with Popeyes and Chick-fil-A curtailing its hours. They can't get people to go to work because wow. they, you know, a lot of folks make more money sitting at home watching Oprah than they do going to work. And, you know, quite frankly, if you're able, you need to get to work and the federal government I mean, it's a form of socialism and it doesn't work. Wow. That's a, I didn't realize that Popeye's and Chick-fil-A were having those issues. Uh, they're not the only ones, you know, yeah. I've got a lot of businesses that are begging and pleading for workforce wow. and, you know, just raising the, the minimum wage isn't the, the issue. You know, you've got to get people back to work and, and get the economy going. And, you know, uh, we don't need government running it. We need government to get out of the way. And, yeah. you know, that, that's, that's, that's the problem. I like, I like you. <laughs> I like that you, have, that you take that perspective. So last question, um, earlier you mentioned and drew some comparisons to nine 11 and today, you know, nine 11 really unified America because it was a crazy disaster. And we've seen that, you know, whenever disasters occur, there's typically a, a phase of unification. There's the, there's actually five phases of, um, a disaster and the psychology of disaster five phases that occur. And one of those is unification. However, we're not seeing that necessarily with this pandemic. Uh, why do you think that is? Well, you know, right now we're not unified against a common enemy, uh, an external enemy. And, and the way I kind of describe it, if you look through the history of America, you know, we tend to fight like a family, you know, I remember growing up, my little brother and I fought like cats and dogs all the time till somebody on the outside came in, you know, and I remember uh, an older uh, neighbor uh, came and, and took a swing at my little brother and he was bigger than I did. And at that point, you know, I turned on, on him to protect my family. And so in 9-11, Pearl Harbor, you know, and throughout history, when those outside attack America, you know, we, we unify, we're the sleeping giant that awakens. This is different because right now, you know, everything that you're seeing in, in America, the fights are, are like siblings in a family, you know, picking at, at one another uh, and, and, and doing this. And so, you know, what, what I'm asking for our community to do is to have that spirit of, of post 9-11 and remember that the enemy is COVID and that we all have a common enemy with COVID mm. and we may have different ways of, of fighting it. I mean, we had a lot of debates as the, the war on terror, you know, continued on. And by the way, we're still in a war on terror. You know, George, George W. Bush, uh, President Bush stated it best. He said, this is a generational war and there'll be times that things are visible and times that things are not visible, but make no mistake, you know, this is something that, that is going to go on for a very long time. And so um, same thing with COVID. Um, the difference is, you know, we're not fighting an enemy overseas. You know, we're fighting an invisible enemy right here. And so it's it's we always want to blame someone, um, you know, and, and so we've turned on, on one another. 
And so, you know, I'm, I'm asking this weekend for, with 9-11, let's take a deep breath and let's, let's start looking for what we have in common. And so when we look at COVID, you know, we've all focused on what we, our differences of opinion about COVID. But let's start finding that common ground and let's build on that common ground. Um, that's what we need to be doing first and foremost. Mm. That's, again, great thing to say. So anything else you want to kind of wrap up for the people of Cleburne that you want to finish off with? Yeah, you know, I mean, we've talked about COVID. I know that dominates us, but, you know, Cleburne's in a very uh, unique uh, position in time right now. We are undergoing, undergoing tremendous amounts of growth. Uh, you know, housing is exploding uh, very soon. In the next two to three years, we're going to see a lot more retail, and we're positioning ourselves uh, really well. Um, I'm challenging our city council and our city staff to take those steps to stay ahead of growth. Um, I think in the coming uh, months and, and next couple of years, our community is going to have some decisions to make. And I look forward to, to bringing those things to the voters and letting the voters weigh in on those as far as how we manage and handle the growth. Um, but it, it's an exciting time. But over the next couple of years, you know, we're going to see some, some things happen as our community uh, grows. You know, but what I've challenged our city staff and our business community, and I challenge our entire community, is you know, let's become the city by which every other city measures success. Let's become the best. Uh, that doesn't mean that we become something we're not. Let's, uh, we're a blue collar working class town and I'm proud of that. Let's become the very best that other cities study and model. So I tell our city staff all the time, figure out what you do, find a better way to do it and become the model by which everybody else measures success. Sounds like a pretty lofty goal, but you know, uh, it, it's, it's one that I think we can achieve. And so Cleburne is a special place. Let's, uh, let's show the, the, the world how special Cleburne is. Uh, it's exciting. I mean, for crying out loud, we've got a, uh, a playoff baseball game, professional baseball game that's about to take place for the first time in 110 years. We've done really? it before. We're going to do it again. So, you know, in, in the coming weeks, months, and years, um, let's we're, we're in for quite a ride as a community. And, you know, it's exciting. And it's also a little scary, too. You know, I, I stay up at night worried about how do we maintain that sense of community and small town feel uh, when the numbers start coming. Yeah. And so, you know, let's welcome the, the new folks coming in, but let's also share with them by example, words if necessary, what Cleveland's about and who we are as a community. And uh, uh, let's love on one another. Uh, and I think we could do that even with COVID. We could demonstrate that you can have a difference of opinion on vaccine and masks and still come together as a community and be respectful to one another. Great send off. Thank you so much for your time, Mayor Kane. Thank you. It's a great day in Cleveland. Have a good one. Bye.